The big cat pounces on a big payday as Andre Vasilevsky unexpectedly signs a massive long-term deal to stay in Tampa Bay. How big, you ask? Big enough to put him amongst the NHL's highest-paid netminders. We'll break down what this means for the Bolts in the short-term and long-term in our main topic. Plus, the goose is on the loose as he flies to New Jersey. Kevin Shattenkirk has his days with the Rangers cut short and has since joined a cup contender. The Avalanche lock up one of their defensemen on the rise. The Minnesota Wild make a GM change for a second straight offseason, and the Sens take on bad money to get closer to the cap floor. Missed a lot? We've got you covered. Episode 181 of the Lace Milk Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Hope you all have been enjoying your summers so far. It's been almost exactly a month since we last spoke. Yes. Uh, before we go any further on to uh, the news that you might have missed, we're going to double lock all fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yes. Question 66 is as follows. Who was the first female player to score a goal in a men's professional league? Was it A, Nancy Drolet, B, Cassie Campbell, C, Haley Wickenheiser, or D, Danielle Goyette? Huh, that's a tough one. Um, mostly because I didn't realize that there was a woman who played in the NHL um, or a men's league. Um, I want to say Wickenheiser, but I feel like it's probably Cassie Campbell, so I'm going to go with that. Oh, it was actually Wickenheiser. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Good yeah, I believe, um, I believe it actually happened. Uh, let's uh, see here. I was about to say, did they explain? I believe it actually happened when she was playing in a European league. Oh, okay. I can't remember if it was Finnish or Swedish, but it was it was actually overseas in a men's hockey league. Got it. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more you know. So okay, so it's like oh, it's like an international league. So it's not like a AHL mm-hmm. or something. Like yeah, that. they didn't say North American. They just said professional men's league anywhere in the world. Got it. Got it. I guess that makes sense then, but. Um, and not that it's like surprising either, considering Haley Wickenheiser is like the best uh, female hockey player out there. Um, all right, let's uh, we get well. First off, it's been a while for us. Uh, yeah, we had a little bit of trouble behind the scenes here because uh, uh, our usual method of getting uh, getting on a call and recording, um, we had some few snags here, but. Uh, we're, we're getting back into things, um, so I think it's like 30 days till, like, this, uh, or 40 days till the season starts. Um, Yeah, it's coming up pretty fast, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, kind of crazy. All we have to do is just wait till September. I mean, August is almost over, so, um, anyways, um, yeah, and speaking of which, um, there hasn't been a ton of stuff that's happened this, um, this 
I think we've missed like four weeks or something like that. Yeah, um, so we recorded the last one on the 24th of July. Yeah. Today we're recording this August 20th, so almost exactly a month. Almost exactly, yep. Um, and we don't, this might be our one of our shorter episodes because uh, not a lot of stuff happened. Um, I did want to talk about the uh, restricted free agents, uh, but um, I think that will probably happen the next time we talk. Um, as I yeah, think there's still I, I a holdout problem. At, at, the, at the rate of hockey news that's coming through, we'll probably yeah. have some episodes where we've got some filler topics that we can tackle. So for that'll sure, probably sure. be reserved for that. Um, but there was one restricted free agent that did get signed. Um, and it was kind of surprising only because he's a goalie. Um, and he uh, he was like he had one more year left um, on his contract already. Um, and that is, of course, Andre Vasilevsky. Um, he signs an extension with the Lightning for $9.5 million annual average value, um, and that's for eight years. Um, the thing that's interesting about Vasilevsky is, for, well, first off, he's a very good goaltender. Um, yeah. He's 25 years old, um, but this puts him around where Carey Price and Sergei Barbovsky are, just a little bit below them. So they're making ten million um, on average uh, for their contract, and and Vasilevsky's making twenty five, um, and the uh, so so there's that, um, and um, yeah, he's a very good goaltender. The thing that's interesting too is that like you know he only played fifty three games last year. Um, he did win the Vezina last year as well. Um, and he's 25 years old. So that's like the plus side of giving a goalie the, this much. If like, you know, the thing with like giving Price or Bobrovsky that kind of contract is that they're 30 years old. So if you're gonna give them a ton of money cause they are, you're basically giving them their contract for their past. Um, whereas for Basileski, you're giving him this much money because this is what you expect him to be um, in the next eight years. Um, and um, he seems to be pretty good. So like just the fact that he's 25 years old, he's one of the best young goaltenders. I guess you can make a case for John Gibson being the better one or a Matt Murray uh, being better as well. But um, you know, if you look at his numbers, just in his career, he, he's played 208 games, uh, win-loss record of 124, 59, and 15. Um, he has a um, goal, his goals against average is, uh, in his career, 2.55 and a save percentage of 919. Um, so, I mean, maybe at, I guess you could say that, like, maybe when he reaches 30 years old, so, like, his last three years on his contract, he's he's probably not going to be worth 9.5. But you're getting him for what what he's going to be doing now. And I, th I think this, like, usually I don't like paying, like, it's never a good idea to pay a goalie this much money. But just given his age and his consistency throughout the years, I think think it's it might be worth it um this time around yeah so there there are a lot of layers to determine whether or not Andre Vasilevsky is, is worth this kind of money um 
especially when you look at Tampa Bay as a team the past two years. No question that their offense is elite and the emergence of Kucherov is something to behold uh, and Brayden Point as well. Um, did you know that Tampa posted the ninth highest shots against per game average in 2017-18 and the 11th highest average last year? In both years, they were outshot 40 times out of 82 games. Uh, I did not in 2018-19 no. as well on the penalty kill, their penalty kill was the third most tested in the league. Only Colorado and Anaheim um, were shorthanded more times than they were. And even in 2017-18, they were shorthanded the 10th most times in the league. Um, I guess that's what happens sometimes when you play at such a high pace a lot of the time that can often lead to mistakes the other teams catch you flat-footed you're you're back checking trying to prevent a goal you you're you're a bit undisciplined in that regard and you have to kill a penalty um and i think on a very good team like the tampa bay lightning a guy like andre vasilevsky can get overlooked sometimes but when you look at the way that Tampa Bay plays and you look at Vasilevsky's numbers and you feel confident as it's seen that your goalie can bail you out if you make a mistake, you kind of get the feeling that you're almost invincible and you can play without fear. And I think Vasilevsky has that type of effect on the Tampa Bay Lightning because, yeah, they had a top three power play in the league for two straight years, including the best ranking last year. But their penalty kill was one of the worst in the league just a season before the start of last year. And Vasilevsky really didn't have good numbers on the penalty kill. As a team, they didn't have good numbers at all. Uh, and they improved their penalty kill success percentage by roughly 9 or 10 points in one year, scored 12 shorthanded goals, and posted the best penalty kill in the league last year. And I think a big part of that was Vasilevsky elevating his game and you mentioned that he only played in what 53 games last year he got 39 wins one shy of a 40 win season which is very very impressive um and I I, for for those who can make the argument oh you know even with Vasilevsky the Tampa Bay Lightning could still win games and and that's partially true because if you look at Domingue he had a 908 and a 2.88 GAA but he won 21 games and only lost five so I I get the argument that you know even without Vasilevsky Tampa would still be a good team but they're a much better team with Vasilevsky this is a guy the past two seasons that's been averaging 32 shots against per game um, has been a Vezina nominee in both of those campaigns. He won it last year. There are a lot of reasons to justify why Vasilevsky is worth this kind of money. The, the guy has 15 playoff wins. That's more than Wabrowski, who yep. got $10 million per year. So I, I definitely think the upside for success is there. He's a top 10 goalie in the NHL in a lot of areas. I'd argue top five, but yeah, top ten yeah, up there too. For sure. I'm still hesitant to give any goalie that kind of yep. money though, especially on a team like Tampa where you've got Vasilevsky being tied with Kucherov as the highest paid player. You've got Stankos and Evan making rich contracts. Point's going to join them at some point, you would right. think. It, it just adds to their financial situation. The other question that I have is how it's going to affect the goalie market because you look at guys like Tuka Rask, guys like Frederick Anderson, guys like Braden Holtby, 
um, Braden Holpe more specifically this coming off season. Their yep. contracts are going to be coming to an end, and they're going to be looking at, you know, the Carey Price contract as okay. You know, it's Carey Price. He's one of the best in his craft. He's dealing with a lot less than some other teams, and he's posting superhuman numbers. I guess that's an outlier. That's an exception. But now Bobrovsky has it. Now Vasilevsky has it. That just drives the market up for everyone else. And I don't yeah. know if someone like Tuka Rask or Freddie Anderson or Brayden Holtby are worth $10 million per year. But there's no reason why they're not worth at least $8 million per. There's no reason why they're not. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with goalies is that they're so um, inconsistent um, throughout the year, uh, like, just recently, like, to the fact that, like, I mentioned it before, that Vasilevsky's only played 50 or so uh, games, um, and, you know, um, he could very well be, um, you know, like, that's, like, that's not what you want in your goalie who's playing, uh, who you're paying that much money for, obviously, but, um, at the same time, it's like if you look at the league, so many teams are have backups um, or have uh, have players that um, or like backup goalies that are starting more and more games. Like Halak, for example, the Bruins. Halak this year, uh, you know, played most half of the games for the Bruins. Um, and that allowed Tuka Rask to get some rest and be dominant in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't really work out for the Lightning um, this year, but like at the same time, you know, it's um, yeah, it's I, I, the only thing I have a problem with is just the fact that he's a goalie and you don't like they can be volatile. But you know, other than injuries, I feel like uh, Vasilevsky's been pretty consistent throughout his career. So, I it's it's hard to say that he, you shouldn't give him this much, just based off his track record. Um, and even if you like, like I guess you could blame the playoffs on him, but at the same time, it's just I I hate just blaming the goalie for for the team. Um, I also I saw back when this was big news. Um, it feels so long ago since he was signed. I think he was signed like the week after we uh, finished recording or something like that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the the fact that like I I heard people say or I saw people say on Twitter, um, and a couple of my fantasy hockey friends were saying that like Vasilevsky, um, like without the Lightning, if you put Vasilevsky on like the Ducks, like and took over for Gibson. Um, Vasilevsky would be worse or like you know he's only good because he's on a great lightning team and I hate that argument because there's only there's there's only one way to prove that and it's very unlikely for that to happen you would have to have Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman, uh, Point um, and Palat all injured at the same time uh, for you to see how good Vasilevsky is and that's very unlikely to happen and also it's like if those guys if your top of course your top players aren't like are not gonna make your team better it's it's just a it's a stupid argument because it's impossible to prove and it it kind of just discredits how valuable goalies are um uh, but um here's here's kind of the 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 
my response to that, regarding uh, the Ducks comment, I think Vasilevsky wouldn't have the numbers if he was on the Ducks. He would still be a good goalie, though. Vasilevsky is still um, a very good goaltender in this True. league. Um, in, 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 in regards to another thing that kind of bothers me, the guy has a year left on his current deal that's going to pay him, what, like three or four million 3. this 5, year? 3.5, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm just puzzled as to why they didn't wait until 12 months' time where he is going to be an arbitration-eligible RFA. Yeah. The most that he would probably command in an arbitration hearing is this. Like, why... Why give him this contract in 12 months' time? Or, or why give him this contract 12 months before that? Why not just wait up the process? Is it really going to make that much of a difference if you give him $9.5 million this year or next year? Um, uh, especially with how the season ended. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, you got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets and your GA was over three, and now yeah, your team didn't help you. Here's 9.5 per. <laughs> it's. It, 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 I, I can understand why uh, some hockey fans would be hesitant about that. The one proactive thing that I like about this move is they don't have to worry about figuring out how they're going to navigate Vasilevsky's contract along with Braden Points. Yeah. Vasilevsky's contract is over and done with. They get Braden Points signed. They can figure out the rest later. That's the kind of the proactive stuff that I like about this. There are definitely a lot of question marks, especially with goaltenders getting paid this kind of money, and I and I hearken back to it. If a star player struggles and they're making an albatross contract, like, I don't know, Milan Lucic, let's say, right, right. they're definitely hard to get off your chest if they need a change of scenery. They're definitely, uh, they definitely don't have good value, but you know at the very at the very least you can like move down the lineup give opportunities to other guys in the terms of a goalie if you're paying him like 10 million per year and he's not getting the job done he's either sitting or he's in the minors yeah and you have trouble creating him so it's even worse if a goalie struggles and he's getting paid that kind of money yeah that's a that's a fair point i guess they could have waited i guess that that makes sense especially with the playoffs they had but at the same time, like he kind of proved in the past couple of seasons how good he he can be um, in the future. So I, I I don't know. I'm fine with it more than other people seem to be. Um, also, I was just and then we can go off this unless you have another point. But um, Matt Murray is going to be an RFA next year. Carter Hart's going to be an RFA yep. in a couple years they're probably salivating at this contract because they're going to be paid a lot more, maybe maybe a lot more, um, if Vasilevsky is getting 9.5 for eight years. Um, uh, I was going to mention yeah, John Gibson, I, I, but it, it, he's... It definitely raises the value. Like I said, when yeah. it comes to Rask, Anderson, will be part. And I don't think they're getting near that kind of a salary. Matt Murray, probably like five or six million easy. Well, Matt Murray's going to be an RFA next year. So, um, but yeah, yeah, he's he he'll probably get something, and he has the playoff uh, success as well. So he probably will, yeah, he that could push him over. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, I guess Jordan Biddington, who we talked about early on in the summer, too. Yeah, Biddington will be an interesting name, too, yeah, if he plays well. All right, uh, let's go to the rapid fire here. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, Nikita Gusev. Uh, he uh, he signs with, I guess he was traded to the Devils for like a third and a fourth. Um, it, was a, it was a third and a second. Oh, did I mess that up? <laughs> yeah, it was the third in 2020, second in yeah. 2021. I'm doing like 20 things at the same time here. It's like pulling <laughs> up his stats, I'm pulling up his cap friendly page. Um, all right, so anyways, uh, his his uh, KHL stats, he had 82 points in 62 games in the KHL. Um, 65 of those were assists. Um, yeah, so he signs with the Devils almost immediately. Um, 4.5 million for two years. Um, so yeah, this is another piece for the Devils uh, for um, Taylor Hall to because he's going to be a UFA next year. Um, so that like in this summer, the Devils get Jack Hughes, uh, PK Subban. Now they get Nikita Gusev. Um, it will be it will be certainly interesting. I'm not. Like, I, I'm still hesitant about, like, KHL players coming in because they could be guys like, um, you know, like, obviously Panarin almost immediately worked out for them. Same with Kucherov. But, um, it, like, you also think of, like, guys like um, Shipachev. Um, yeah. Uh, there's, like, the... But what are the there were like two brothers that were big guys. Um, I guess Yakupov was one of them. Um, but anyways, the, Kostitsin. Kostitsin's, yeah, they were they were never as good as uh, we thought they would be. Um, Radulov's kind of been a mix because he was good at the start, but then or he was bad at the start, and then he turned out to actually be pretty good once he got used to things. Nichushkin's another one. Um, although he just got signed with the Avalanche. So it's like you never really know how KHL players are going to translate. Uh, from what I've read um, and from people who've watched him play a lot, um, he, you know, he kind of will, he seems like he's following along the same pattern as Panarin is. Like he's good in the international play um, and, you know, he's 27 years old as well. Uh, which Panarin uh, took a while to get into the league as well, um, so so that's that's where it's interesting, and I think the Devils are all of a sudden like uh, one of the more exciting teams in the league because uh, now they have you know they have a pretty good top six with uh, Taylor Hall, Gusev, um, Hughes, and Heischer down the line, um, and then maybe you have. Uh, um, Kyle Palmieri and uh, Blake Coleman. Um, do you know Blake Coleman had 27 goals this year? Um, that seemed yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so the so all of a sudden you have a pretty good top six there if Gusev um, is as good as expected. So um, yeah, this is this could be a good move, but at the same time, it's um, it could be a big. Um, misfire if it doesn't land yeah it, it, it's 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 tough to really pinpoint what you're getting out of someone that's um 
going from the KHL to the NHL. And I think it's noteworthy to talk about why he wasn't a good fit in Vegas. But we'll we'll save that for after we talk about Gusev and what he brings. So before he entered the KHL, he played in this uh, league in Russia called the MHL. And um, in the couple of seasons that he played, he dominated. He had a lot of solid regular seasons, uh, had a 30-goal season and 76 points in his final year. Um, there was um, even a playoff run where he averaged a goal per game, 17 goals in 16 games. He had 16 goals and 33 points in another playoff run. So it wasn't KHL-level hockey, but you kind of get the sense from those stats what this guy was capable of. Like a goal per game in a playoff run is absolutely crazy and unheard of in any level. So um, then you look at his KHL stats early on, and you mentioned mentioned how sometimes it it takes a bit of time to get accustomed to a league. Well, um, before he played with St. Petersburg, he played with CSKA Moscova, excuse me. And in the three seasons he played combined with that team he had three goals and five points in 39 games not exactly superstar stats by any means so then he goes to another team in the khl does a little better um and he actually had a season um with another KHL team where he got 21 goals and 37 points, which which is respectable, but not superstar stats. Then he goes to St. Petersburg and absolutely tears it up. He owns three of the 37 um, highest scoring performances in the KHL's history. So like leading the league in scoring, there have been 37, um, uh, there have been 37 seasons in the KHL and three of them he's been the leading scorer in, including an 82 point season this past year um, and the couple of playoff runs that he had with St. Petersburg as well he was solid he averaged a point per game in the playoffs with them I think a total of 68 points in 66 games in the playoffs with them if I'm not mistaken um, definitely a point per game superstar that everyone was expecting. What really impresses me about Gusev is what he did with Team Russia in the World Juniors in football of 9.7 games. World Championships in 2017, 14 points in 10 games. 16 points in 10 games at this year's Worlds. The one that really impresses me is the Olympics where he gets 12 points in six games and is named the tournament's best player on a Russian team that wasn't technically Team Russia. It was um, international hockey players of Russia or, or something like that because Team Russia was expelled from the games, basically. Um, yep. But basically, because the NHL didn't send their superstars like Ovechkin, they relied on guys like Kovalchuk and Gusev to play big roles, and Gusev was one of their stars. So when when you take all of that into context and you look at um, what Nikita Gusev did um, in the KHL as opposed to what uh, Panarin uh, did uh, in the KHL, um, it, it, it's the, the hype is definitely there. It's definitely justified. And then you 
listen or slash read into his comments that he's aiming for Kucherov's point total from last year, which is apparently 128 points. That is quite a lot. That's probably the highest we've seen in over a decade in the NHL. So you, it, you're sounding, it sounds like he's a very motivated player as well. That's eager to get to work. That is excited about the opportunity that's up in front of him. And as we'll talk about later on, he has a better chance to have a productive NHL season with the New Jersey Devils than the Vegas Golden Knights simply because he's going to have a bigger role on the Devils. He is either going to have Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes as his center in a top six role. Yeah, the I mean, it's, like I said, it seems like the Devils have a pretty good top six now. Um, mm-hmm. If Heischer can take that next step and same with... Uh, uh, we'll see what Jack Hughes is capable of doing in his rookie year. Um, but yeah, Gusev should help both those young guys out, or young centers out, um, in, in that sense. Because, I mean, it's, it's interesting because now that I'm looking at his stats even more so, it's like, um, you know, he had a pretty good... Uh, he, it seems like he does really well internationally as well. Um, in the World Championships this year, he had uh, 16 points in 10 games. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe he, like that kind of, and those are, uh, that's even more impressive with the Olympics because in the Olympics that year, mm-hmm. that was when the NHL just like wouldn't allow any of their players to go. So you were yep. only, um, so like obviously the Russians had all their KHL players, but uh, they weren't playing good competition, really. Um, whereas, like, the World Championship, you do have a couple of NHL players on teams that were eliminated from the playoffs. So it, it's, like, it's more impressive on that sense. Um, and, he, and he did well in, in, in that regard as well. So, yeah, um, so yeah I, I guess I'm excited for him, um, but I, I am throwing the caution flag right now just just to not get like too excited for him like I'm not gonna like draft him in the first round of my fantasy league uh, <laughs> to say but I I could maybe draft him in the second round or the third round um, all right uh, let's go to the next thing on the list probably the the most shocking news story of this summer um, happened uh, when we were away was um, Paul Fenton fired from the Minnesota Wild G, uh, GM spot. Um, there's a couple of shocking things that happened here. Um, the first one is, I mean, I guess it's not super surprising considering all the trades he made, mainly the Nino Niederreiter trade for uh, Victor Rask, um, and also the uh, the one lately, the Matt Zuccarella signing, which was strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also traded Michael Granlin for uh, Kevin Fiala. Uh, the Charlie Coyle for Ryan Donato might not actually be that bad for him, but um, the other three are kind of uh, very uh, questionable on um, if the GM knows what he's doing. Um, and the um, and apparently a lot of the people 
in the Wild organization and kind of agreed with him. Uh, apparently, Craig Leopold, I'm paraphrasing here, I was trying to find the quotes while you were talking about Gusev, but I couldn't really find it. But uh, Craig Leopold, I'm just paraphrasing here, that he said that, um, you know, Fennin's a good scout, um, but that's like he just couldn't get along with many of the people there and almost everyone. I um, mean, he tried to like hire his son as like a scout um, and that rubbed people the wrong way. They didn't like the whole factor of like, I guess he uh, sent it down. Um, Luke Cunning and Jordan Greenway um, while he was trading for Victor Rask and that kind of confused everyone and it kind of like uh, made the wild team into like a disarray just because of those different moves or something like that. Um, but basically Leopold said that he just like, he wasn't good enough. Um, and he was, um, you know, he, he's a good scout, but that's perhaps the only thing that, um, he was good at kind of, um, in a way. So it's, um, it's an interesting, uh, d dynamic there. Cause I guess it like me, the only problem I have with this is that, like, I feel like if they should have given him just a little bit of a longer leash, but from the sounds of it, uh, apparently Michael Russo of the uh, Minnesota Athletic, the Athletic for Minnesota, um, he he's he's been on it, um, but like you know that they were saying that like people on the inside were very were sick of him, so. Maybe you, he just his. They were just like, all right, it, there's no way this can get better. Let's um, let's just fire him in his first year. That's the only thing that's kind of unsettling for me. Mm -hmm. So so I have more details on that, and we'll get to that um, after I talk about exactly what he did. He yep. first off, he was. Um, if we're looking into chronological um, timelines. One year, two months, eight days. That's how long he was the GM of the Minnesota Wild. In that time, he made 12 trades, drafted 16 players, signed 32 contracts, dished out $144 million in change. Of those contracts, the only five-year deals he gave out were to Matt Dumba, Jason Zucker, Matt Zuccarello. All three between a cap hit of $5.5 million and $6 million per year. The only other contract with an AAV over $3 million was the one given to Eric Stahl. That was a two-year extension. The three-year contracts he ended out, there were six of them. Uh, three went to roster players, uh, Alex Stalock, Greg Patteron, and Nick Sealer. The others were all entry-level deals. Um, of course, the, the trades and, and just the overall direction are, are what concern me. The fact that he would sign a guy that's older than all three of the guys they just traded in one of the trades that he made was basically for a guy that is basically providing very little value compared to what Nino Niederreiter is providing in Carolina right now and what he even provided in his prior years with Minnesota. Like you knew what Nino Niederreiter was. He was having a down year. He magically goes to another team and finds his group again. I, I wonder how that happens. Um, but like you said, the behind the scenes, when we got to the behind the scenes stuff, it's, it's pretty clear that a change was needed. Um, so Craig Leopold goes on to say, I like Paul Fenton as a scout. I like the work that he did. The management of people, 
the management departments is where the divide started. Um, it was reported both during and after the season that Paul Fenton wanted to fire Bruce Boudreaux. Multiple times this happened. Paul Fenton never did fire Bruce Boudreaux because every single time Craig Leopold never approved his request. So every single time his request to fire Boudreaux was rejected. Um, Boudreaux, by the way, entering the final season of a four-year deal with the team. Uh, also, apparently not one Minnesota scout went to watch Victor Rask play, who reportedly was going to be bought up by the Hurricanes this summer anyways, if he was still on the team. That was from uh, Michael Russo's column in The Athletic. Right. Um, about uh, Paul's son, PJ, uh, Paul hired his son as a scout, then tasked him to run the scouting department following a list departure. That resulted in some turmoil between scouts and front office members. Um, in crucial situations, he wasn't always present. He actually went on vacation for three weeks after the trade deadline while uh, his team was starting to struggle and eventually missed the playoffs uh, as a result of continuous struggling. Um, After the season ended, he continued to spend lots of time away from Minnesota, even left Minnesota the day after free agency began for a total of five days during the entire offseason, it says he was in Minnesota. Five days in an off season like that's <laughs> i don't know how many gms take that much vacation time um and really the one time that leopold really got a chance to talk to paul fenton is during a seven to eight hour meeting where um leopold basically went into fenton's office and yelled at him and when fenton was learned that he wasn't the gm of the team uh he was in cape cod for most of the month uh, Leopold offered to fly out to Cape Cod to meet him, or Fenton could fly to him. Fenton said, just tell me over the phone what it is, and that was that. So it, it seemed clear like there was plenty of divide, plenty of disinterest. Yeah. At the same time, though, I'm thinking, you still let him run a draft, you still let him re-sign Zuccarello. There were plenty of warning signs before you pull the trigger. Why did it take you so long to make this decision? That's probably what a lot of people are asking Craig Leopold, just like it, it, if he if it looked blatantly obvious that it wasn't going to work out, why did you let him work such crucial events in your off season? That that I think is probably the the most shocking part. Yeah, I didn't. I, so thanks for all the the added details to that. That's uh, <laughs> it, you. you're you're showing that you do more <laughs> prep than I do. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's good. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that he uh, he was taking like he took a vacation three for three weeks after the trade deadline when the season was still underway. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, and also that he was away during the draft day. That that's also strange. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you you do have a point. It's like it seemed like there were red flags this entire season. Um, so like, why even let him do the draft? Um, and, and all that stuff, so I don't know. Um, anyways, um, the back to GM. Uh, speaking of GMs who fleeced Fe- uh, Fenton, I think we can already say that, uh, <laughs> that uh, Fenton got fleeced from this trade. Uh, but uh, on the other side, Don Waddell, um, he supposedly was 
interviewed for the Minnesota job, um, even though he was still like technically a part of the Hurricanes GM, he was never actually fired. Um, and then there was like some talk about like uh, Tom Dundon said um, publicly that he doesn't believe in contracts, which doesn't make sense. And it, it, it ended up feeling like it was going to be a, the same kind of deal with Sebastian Ajo. Um, like, you know, could Tom Dunnan actually let Don Waddell go after his season that he just had um, mm. and, and all that stuff? And um, and then all of a sudden we find out like a couple of days later that Don Waddell gets signed to be the GM of the Hurricanes for three years. Um, something that I guess should have happened anyways, but it's it, I, I do want to mention it because it, it was very reminiscent of the um, what Sebastian Ajo did where Sebastian Ajo like signs an offer sheet even though he really wanted to be a part of the Carolina Hurricanes but he was using it as a ploy to for uh Dundon to step up and actually pay um pay them what he's worth so I feel like Don Waddell like took from what Sebastian Ajo did um and uh and he got himself a job more of a job security and uh signed him for three years mm-hmm yeah, so here here's the interesting thing about the Don Waddell stuff. Um, so regarding the Minnesota Wild position, like there are a lot of GM candidates up for that, like right. Ron Hextall, Fitzgerald, um, uh, Dave Nonis, um, Bill Zito, uh, Peter Chirelli. Barty, even, even, even Peter Chirelli is, yeah. is apparently in the mix, according to a tweet a couple of weeks ago. So it's not like Don Waddell was on a very short list. There are a lot of names right. uh, being thrown out there for this position. So I guess Tom Dunn, in the back of his mind, is just like, you know, yeah, maybe he would leave, but it's a real, uh, it's a realistically low chance with all those names out there. Right. But, but at the same time, look, Waddell when, is when you, the better, best candidate if he was still available of those yeah, guys true. you just mentioned. He, he definitely would be yeah. associated with the season that he had. Um, the, the thing is you look at where Minnesota is in the standings and you, you, you look at where Carolina is in their division. Like Minnesota is dealing with like three or four cup contenders, a Chicago team that might even surprise. You look at the Metro division where, um, you know, the Islanders are still there. You don't know really what to expect from them. Even then, you know, the Rangers might, might be something. Same with the Devils. But uh, the Penguins uh, might be on the downwards. Um, Philadelphia, you don't really know. Columbus lost a lot of assets. So the Carolina Hurricanes are in a very good position right now, I would argue. And... <laughs> There, there's a chance that the GM might leave uh, for a tougher position. Like, that's a bit concerning if I'm Tom Dundon. And I think his approach hasn't really bit him in the butt. At the same time, I don't think it's the most proactive because this is the second time this offseason where a critical piece of your team has a realistic chance of leaving there was sebastian aho getting offer sheeted and the hurricanes had to match prior to that talks were slow and then talks were probably a bit 
like they were they were apparently they were talking for several times uh for for several times before even the minnesota wild position came about and they continued to talk after it, it seemed like um the minnesota opportunity wasn't going to work out but just in in the public eye the threat of someone being taken away from you is what it takes for you to keep them you're not really going to gain that much street cred out of that and i think that is the hurricane's biggest flaw they are not a team right now that everyone points to and says i want to go there right right. i want to go there i like this market i like what these guys do and i want to be a part of it yeah they're not a tampa bay nashville type of situation right now but if they want to be successful if they want to get to that level their street cred needs to be as good as tampa bay's and as good as nashville's as good as san jose's even and it all starts with being proactive and keeping the guys on your team without any second guessing of oh you know they might you know they might leave like with Vasilevsky and Kucherov in Tampa Bay a year before they're scheduled at the open market they're signed long term done deal and the Preds did that with uh, Ryan Ellis um this past offseason a year before he was slated to go on the open market so that's the kind of proactive approach that I'm hoping the Hurricanes take. And I don't think they're going to reach their full potential until their approach to keeping their assets changes. Um, it's it's definitely an odd way of doing business, um, Tom Dunn's way of doing business, that is. But um, at, at the end of the day, they got their guys signed to a three-year extension. They got their VP of Hockey Ops inked to a four-year extension on top of that. But it wasn't just like, boom, it happened. Right. It, it didn't happen until the story was out there that, hey, he's, you know, maybe interested in another position he might be going, who knows? Right, right, right. It's, it's just not a good look in the public eye. And until that look changes, until people look at the Carolina Hurricanes differently, they're never going to be as good as they want to be. That's my thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I guess the thing with, like, at this moment, like, if you were to tell me last year, like, who at, who would I rather GM for, the Wild or the Hurricanes, I probably would have said the, the Wild, but this season, um, I feel like the, the Hurricanes are the more exciting team, so, I mean... It, it was kind of weird when you like when you find like that he was interviewing for the wild and I was just thinking like he should he has a good thing going with the hurricanes just based off of the moves he made and all that stuff so um, so maybe he should have kept with the hurricanes um, well yeah that and, and that's and that's kind of the arg- the same argument that I have too is that Mike yeah. Verducci led their AHL team to the Calder Cup. He leaves to join Pittsburgh's farm team to be the new head coach for Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Mike Bales is the goaltending coach for the Hurricanes. He leaves. Jason Mazzotti comes in. That's two instances right there where, you know, they had a good season. You know, let's build upon it. No, two people walk out the door. So, again, you're really playing with fire with, with that approach. That, and, and my fear is that uh, at some point, Tom Dundon, that approach is really going to bite the team. 
Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, other, uh, we should we should mention that the Hurricanes did get a a college free agent, one of the I guess the most hyped college free agent this year. Um, you know, it's the I guess every August fifteenth, there's always at least one college free agent that of note that uh, leaves their team. Um, mm-hmm. Like just due to like a weird loophole where you can be like a senior and not sign with your the team that drafted you, so then that makes you a free agent and um, and all that stuff. But um, he um, so the the Hurricanes get Chase Prisky. Um, he was the he had the most points for a defenseman in the NCAA for Quinnipiac where he played. Um, he had thirty nine points in thirty six games uh, for them, which is very good for a defenseman. 17 of them were goals. I think he had the most goals for any defenseman in the in the NCAA, um, he, which is impressive. He was also the captain for Quinnipiac the past yeah. two years. And that too. So uh, this guy looks to be pretty good. I thought he was going to maybe go to a team like Toronto, Winnipeg, or some team where he felt like he may have started right away, but um, I don't think he's gonna start right away for Carolina, but at least they get like a replacement for like Adam Fox who left uh, to New York and um, maybe he'll just be in the AHL this year and maybe next year he'll uh, come up full time. I could even see him maybe go um, like play half half of his games in Charlotte, uh, the AHL team and then um, and then let's see go from there uh the only reason why i say that is because the hurricanes have uh jacob slavin uh they don't have calvin dehan anymore they have uh justin falk dougie hamilton of course um brett pesci uh they already they're pretty like stacked in the defensive end of stuff so um so he he'll probably have to wait a couple of years uh, before he gets a real legitimate shot on the lineup, but um, it's a good move. It's a, it's a good signing for Carolina. Uh, having said all that, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of where I disagree slightly because Fall Hamilton, Pesce, and Trevor Van Riemsdyk are all right-handers. So is Prisky, and you know normally with all that defensive depth like Buffalo has on the right side, yeah. you you you'd think okay, if someone's probably going to get traded. Um, but names like uh, Dougie Hamilton, names like Justin Falk have been around uh, the trade rumor mill the past year or so. I, it wouldn't surprise me if Prisky has a good AHL season. He's a midseason call-up, and one of those right. guys gets dealt. Well, I that's what I said. But on what happens? Oh, you mean you think like a trade is imminent? I don't know if it's imminent because guys like Falk, guys like Hamilton, I'm hesitant to trade right away until I know for sure I know what I'm getting in the farm system. You also have Jake Bean in the farm system there, along with Prisky as well, Hayden Fleury as well. Um, so I, I definitely want to see the kid play in the AHL first before I make a decision. I think if a name like Falk, a name like Hamilton gets traded, it's midseason. I don't think it happens before the start of the season. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think, I think they really wait before they make a decision like that. The thing that's interesting about this is that I thought, you know, like he was on, he was drafted by the Washington Capitals, and it's not like the Capitals 
are strong on the on their pile six pool, especially their defensemen. So yeah. like he he may have been able to play um, this year if he st- if he signed with the Capitals. So I guess maybe just according to him, he just he just wanted to go. So this is kind of like a weird mark on the Capitals because they never re- they never really have any good prospects come up. Um, but uh, so it's it's that's the that's where it gets interesting in that in that regard. But um, yeah, I, I guess I could see him. It, it it's one of those things, kind of like Gusev is. Like, yeah, he has good stats in another league, um, but it remains to be seen how good he can actually be. So, um, um, uh, once you put him in uh, in a good situation, you know, so. Yeah, for for sure. And and, uh, I talk about being proactive. Um, I I like what the Hurricanes did in this situation because apparently they tried to trade for him at the draft. It didn't happen, but they kept pursuing him. They had their eyes on him since then. And when he became available, they went out and they got their guy. So they need to do more of that. Yeah, fair. Um, All right, I guess (laughs) that's enough on that. Um, Shattenkirk. Uh, Kevin Shankirk, he uh, he was first off he was bought out, which I which baffled me for some reason. I know he was paid like seven million, and but like I didn't, I thought at least one team could get him a trade partner. Um, and then uh, he resigns with the Lightning a couple days later um, for like a one year. I think it was like two million or something like that. Um, uh, one- it was 1.75 million. Also has, uh, I think, a no move clause, which is right. another reason why maybe it would have been tough to move Shattenkirk because that's what he had uh, all oh, throughout right. his contract. It was a no move, no trade kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it makes sense for. So here's the thing that I, for, well, let's start with the. I'll talk about the him to the lightning in a second, but mm-hmm. the. So the. I, I, it makes sense to have since the acquisition of Jacob Truba. They also have Adam Fox in the system and Keandre Miller in the mm-hmm. system too. It's not like Kevin uh, Shattenkirk had like a great two seasons, although albeit he was injured for all most of it. Um, but at the same time, I feel like you, you could like I I get the reason why you you buy him out or you drop him because you know you need to make room for Jacob Truba's contract and Panarin's contract as well so you know someone has to go um I just like it it just when I see that they're gonna have to pay six million um in buyout next year um and like they're gonna have some money issues next year it's it's gonna be kind of crazy as well as the fact that you have like are we sure like just speaking off of what happened with chase prisky like are we like is adam fox ready to be in the lineup right away um Mm -hmm. and that's where i i get confused because it's like like you're putting a lot of pressure on adam fox to be a guy it's like one thing to have jacob truba because um, he had 50 points last year. He's been in the league for a while. That's fine. Um, Mark Stahl, Brady Shea, 
Uh, Brennan Smith are okay as well, but Anthony D'Angelo had a couple of good seasons. But Adam Fox, you're you're expecting this this move for a buyout is like pretty much putting Adam Fox into the opening day roster. And I don't think that's necessarily smart, um, especially since he's a defenseman. He's so young. I'd I'd rather like give him maybe like like do what I think the Hurricanes are gonna do with Prisky is just give him to the AHL for about half the year. And you don't need you're not in win now mode, you know. So like that that kind of uh, doesn't make sense to me. Um, in terms of like Adam Fox's development, because they're expecting him to be like a Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes type when he's not. Um, and then the other thing I was um, that kind of was uh, confusing to me about this was uh, that uh, I guess you, you did mention. I know he had a no movement clause on the Rangers. He had, he was also getting paid a lot of money. Um, uh, for not being expected for what he what he did for the Rangers, but at the same time, like he's he's a thirty year old defenseman. Um, he was once like one of the best defensemen in the league, like not even five years ago, like three years ago. Um, he he, I I find it hard to believe that no one wanted to trade for him. Even if it was going to be, a, especially if it's going to be a cap dump for the Rangers, so um, I've, I find it hard to believe that no one wanted Kevin Shattenkirk, um, even with his no movement clause. Or I guess he, since he had a no movement clause, I guess he can't really trade him. Uh, but I, I'm sure he wanted to leave anyways if he signs a buyout or what, however that works. So. Um, so yeah, that 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 just it, it it makes sense to me in terms of like trading, uh, like they should have at least traded Shattenkirk, um, to a team instead of buying him out. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, before I get before we talk about him on the Lightning and what he'll, uh, contribute there. What do you think of what I just said? So there are a couple of uh, points that I want to make. First off. What's really painful for the Rangers is they're willing to buy out Shattenkirk, but Brendan Smith is on their team for yeah. some godforsaken reason. This guy is a healthy scratch, was put on waivers. Nobody claimed the guy. Yeah. And you buy out Shattenkirk and opt to keep him. Like, when when he hit the open market, Shattenkirk had six or seven teams interested in him, possibly as many as 11. Abs, yeah. Jets, Leafs, all involved. The Rangers could have gotten something for him. But I think I that's probably because I think that's probably because he wasn't going to cost anything. They just had to sign him. I will. I think, I think it would have been tougher with the trade because he turned down a lot of offers to sign with the New York Rangers. Some even more lucrative than what the Rangers right. gave him. Maybe he would have refused any trade that approached his desk. Yeah. Um, with, with the kind of contract they had, maybe teams would be hesitant I, to take that on. I and, will. And I think the okay. GMs around the league probably knew they could get him for cheap if they waited long enough. Yeah, I just want to mention that uh, if they bought up Brandon Smith, he's making four point three million, and uh, Shattenkirk's what was making six million, six point mm-hmm. five million. So I think that maybe why they bought out Shattenkirk is just more cap relief for them at the moment. 
Yeah, it still brings more value than Brendan Smith ever would, though. That's of course, that. yeah, yeah. I will take the extra two million. That goes without saying, um, but yeah. Yeah. So, so the other the other point, it, it's no question that the two years that he played in New York weren't a success story. He failed to reach thirty points in both of those seasons. Yeah. Um, you take a look at the future of the Rangers. Um, Kreider, Nemesnikov, Bolesky, Fast, all UFAs after this year. You have Kako, uh, Philip Kietel, Anderson, Howden, all on their um, on their entry levels. Shesjurkin, uh, Fox, Kravtsov as well. Um, y- you look at all the all of those guys uh, coming up the ranks that you're probably gonna have to pay in a couple of years. Um, even if they don't buy out Shattenkirk and they let him play out the rest of his contract, I doubt he gets re-signed by the Rangers anyway. So I think his time with the Rangers was going to run out. Um, At the same time, I don't think the buyout was the way to go. I think, I hope it was the case that Jeff Gordon exercised every single option. It didn't work out. And this was his last resort as opposed to, we just bought him out. We didn't even try to trade him. We just, we just cut him loose. We cut bait. So I, I hope at least they made the initiative to get something out of Shattenkirk before they made this move. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think he could have provided something even as a second pairing or third pairing guy. I, I, I think Shattenkirk uh, could have done some good for the Rangers. He sounded very motivated uh, a month before this decision to get to work and he sounded very optimistic about the direction of the team and how he thought they could surprise everybody with yeah. the addition of Panarin and Kako. I think that would definitely help their offense. Um, and I think he was generally excited to be a part of that. And he was um, asked uh, to give his thoughts after the move, um, after the decision to, for the Rangers to buy him out. And he says he pissed off about the move, pissed off at himself that he didn't take advantage of the situation he was given um and he doesn't have any regrets but um it's definitely it's definitely not something uh, that he's proud of he says he's not mad at the rangers at making the decision um and he's just going to take this experience learn from it and he wants to make sure that everyone sees that he's still a good defender in this league and he believes Tampa is going to allow him to play to his strengths. And I will get to that later on that. I think he's definitely capable of doing just that. Yeah. I I think there's still like, I know he wasn't as good on the Rangers as he was on the blues, but at the same time, it's like he was injured his first year. Um, it doesn't seem like he, he was ever really back. Um, uh, when he what did return, so it's I I feel like he was just like a lost cause, and I feel like uh, this could just be a I like this move for Tampa here. Um, now that we talk about we're gonna talk about Tampa for a bit, um, because you know he he for at the very least he's a good like third pairing defenseman. Um, at most he could maybe replace Sergachev on the second power play. Um, that's the like Shattenkirk's specialty is on the power play, um, and I think that's where he can thrive. So if you have Hedman on one power play and Shattenkirk on the second power play, that's um, and they're both you know very good. That, that's 
that's good. that's pretty scary uh, a power play um, if you have those two defensemen uh, but just the you know I guess there was talk about like how he's not great defensively um, but I feel like he um, you know I feel like it could it could work out for him on on Tampa Bay. Um, it, I I like the move of just giving him a one year deal just as a prove it deal, um, and, and see what he's capable of. Um, and I I know that Sturgachev's also there. Ryan McDonough's also a good defenseman, but uh, I feel like they they're uh, like Shannon Kirk uh, could thrive in Tampa Bay. Um, Unlike maybe what he was doing in New York, um, I do, it is also funny that uh, the the Rangers do trade Ryan Callahan and they got rid of um, or they didn't re-sign um, Anton Strallman, but they're still they're still keeping all the ex-Rangers um, with uh, Ryan McDonough and uh, and now Kevin Shattenkirk. And yeah, thanks, for, thanks for reminding me about that fact. Uh, so yeah. the list of Rangers that were once traded from New York to Tampa are Callahan, Girardi, JT Miller, Roman, Brian Boyle, McDonough, and now Shattenkirk uh, remain with the team. Yep. So they love the X-Rangers, for sure. Um, as for Tampa Bay's cap situation, they still have roughly $9 million to sign points, so this doesn't really hurt their bottom line. For sure. Um, here's where I look at Shattenkirk's value, and I think it's going to be very, very high at 30 years old. Um, like I said, chip on his shoulder, get him for one year, probably nothing more than that because Bassey's new deal is going to kick in after that, and Brayden Point's name's going to be on the books as well. Sergeyev will have to sort out Sorelli too. Um, um, the Tampa Bay Lightning also had their eyes on Shattenkirk at the trade deadline back in 2017. He was traded to the Caps instead. Um, apparently, he was almost traded to Tampa, but it was next because he wasn't willing to sign a contract extension before July 1st. He said he wanted to see what was out there, and he says that he was close to joining the Lightning at the 2017 deadline. Um, so it's 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 not one of these ideas that just popped into Julian Breesbaugh's head it, it was it was something that um the Tempe Lightning had thought about before um you say that he could be a second or third pairing defenseman I think he could be a top pairing defenseman and here's why I say that Petrangelo was the top defenseman on the right side in St. Louis that means Shattenkirk also a right-handed defenseman would play alongside guys like Colton Pareko, Jay Bomister, Carl Gunnarsson. In New York, mainly got to skate with McDonough and Brady Skay in year one. Year two, either Jordan Stahl, uh, either Mark Stahl, Brendan Smith, or Freddie Clayson. Tampa Bay is weak on the right side. You have Yan Ruda, Luke Shen, Luke Wachtowski, Eric Cernak as your right-hand defenseman options. And before this did you say Sergachev? Sergachev is left-handed. So I have. Edmund, so I, I, I'm seeing so here that he's right-handed. According to Cap Friendly, Sergi is left-handed. Well, according to Daily Faceoff, he's right-handed. Really? Okay. Well, in any case, there is a chance he could get top-pairing minutes 
with Victor Hedman, even strength power play. Yeah. He posted 53 points over two seasons with the Rangers, but in six of his first seven campaigns, he posted 40 points or more and at least 20 power play points in five of those seven campaigns. And he didn't have Victor Hedman paired with him on a regular basis either. If Hedman is on his line, I think Kevin Shattenkirk can light the world on fire with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I could easily see 50 to 60 points for him. Easy. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I did say worst case scenario, he's a third pairing defenseman. Um, I could see him being the mm-hmm. first uh, first pairing defenseman. I, I Daily Faceoff also has him at the as a first pairing defenseman alongside Victor Hedman. So he has that going for him. It, it, it'll be tough for me because I do like Sergachev and I do like Cernak. So um, I could see them maybe out playing Shattenkirk. Um, but... Uh, yeah, maybe Shanker, they give him the reins and uh, give him, pair him with Hedman. Um, yeah, I, I he, definitely you know, give him the chance. That wouldn't be surprising. And see what he has, and if it's not working, then go with something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a fair point. Um, also, I guess just quickly, Adam Ernie, not, if we're talking about the lighting, Adam Ernie goes to Detroit. Um, that could be a good, uh, that's like one of those moves where, um, like development, um, like he may not get the good line minutes that he did, that he would have in Tampa Bay and they give him to Detroit on a lesser team and he could thrive there in Detroit. So I, I like that move. Also, I guess Yeiserman gets a, gets a guy from Tampa Bay. So, um, maybe Yeiserman likes him. Also, believe it or not, his first official trade as Red Wings GM, so that's That's interesting too. Um, I doubt that Tampa is done making moves because Adam Ernie was signing rights. He only signed for about a million, and um, I doubt Tampa is done making trades. Well, they still have to afford uh, Braden Point, so they they have a couple other things to worry about. Yeah, on top of that, you have Kalorn Johnson, Gordon Black making four to six million per year, respectively. Um, and uh, McDonough, Hedman, over six million. Bassey, over six million soon. Point, Stamkos, Kucherov. Um, you also have guys like Sorelli and Sergachev making two million or less. Um, so I, I definitely think someone like Tyler Johnson, someone like Andre Palat. I don't think it's this season, but. Next offseason, for sure, they're going to be faced with more changes, and one of those guys are probably biting the bullet. That's what oh, I yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, Sam Girard signs a seven-year contract with the Avalanche of $5 million annual average value. Uh, he had a pretty good year this year. Um, I mean, 27 points uh, for eight, in 82 games. I think he's more known for his defensive capabilities than his offensive stuff, but... Um, I, I do like this deal, at least like lock him up long term. It is kind of, it does remind me of that Vasilevsky thing though. It's like maybe um, it might be, I guess 5 million isn't too much, but um, like they didn't have to sign him this year. Uh, they could have waited a little bit because he, he's just finishing off his RFA uh, contract or his entry level contract this year. Um, and this contract will take place next year, um, but um, but at the same time, five million for someone uh, like 
of Samuel Gerard's capabilities, I think this is a good value for them. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll first get to what Gerard brings, and then we'll get to the financial stuff. Um, you look at um, their defense last year, Eric Johnson, Tyson Berry, first and second amongst Avs defensemen in average time and ice per game, both right-handers. So amongst left-handers, Gerard finished third, uh, finished first on that list, uh, third amongst uh, defensemen, just under six seconds and 20 minutes per game. Um, four goals, 27 points in 82 games as a sophomore. That's pretty decent. 116 shots on goal, nine power play points, 90 block shots as well. Um, he ranks second amongst Avs defensemen in power play time, total power play time. Um, 44 giveaways, that's also not too bad. Like, I saw some defensemen with over 100, so 44 times is somewhat respectable. Um, with Tyson Berry out of the picture, he's either going to spend most of his time with Eric Johnson or Kale McCarr, who are natural right-handed defensemen. Um, maybe one of the left-handers goes over to the right side if it's not Connor Timmins as well to be paired with him. Uh, should be also noted, Bowen Byram is also a left-handed shot, so when he enters the fold, maybe he usurps Gerard. But Sam is going to get at least a couple of years to prove that he is a, no, a very solid number one defenseman. Like, this is a guy that posted consecutive 70-plus point seasons in the QMJHL before his rookie season in Nashville. So, um, I I think um, for, for a guy like Sam Gerrard, getting him locked up to a cap-friendly deal is a steal for the Avs. I think $5 million for Sam Gerrard is going to be a steal. If he performs at the level that he can um he's also got a year left on his entry level so as you mentioned this actually doesn't start until the season after this year um you have miko rantanen on the books nathan mckinnon who um as opposed to consecutive 90 plus point seasons is making less than seven million per year when it's time to re-sign him um that's definitely going to be key finding the cap space to do that and getting guys like Sam Gerrard locked up for $5 million per season, I think is something that's really going to help the team in the long run. And I'm very interested to see what he does in year three and beyond because um, there is a lot of hype to this kid. There's a lot to be excited about. And the Colorado Avalanche continue to build on their bright future. I like this deal. Yeah, I like this deal too. Um, we'll see how it goes kind of thing, but... Um, yeah, it could work out for both of them. Uh, we don't have a Bruins or Sens segment just because there's not a ton of news in the, uh, in the summer. But uh, the Senators did make a trade of note um, while we were away. So I figured I should mention this one before we, uh, we leave you guys. Um, Ryan Callahan, we did speak of him. Um, with Tampa Bay, but Ryan Callahan is going to the Ottawa Senators um, in a 2020 fifth round pick, um, as well as going to the Senators as um, and the Lightning get rid of Mike Condon in a 2020 sixth round pick uh, from Ottawa. So, um, so it's just a swap of picks and Ryan Callahan. This one's kind of interesting just because Ryan Callahan was on LTIR last year. Um, and I guess the the Lightning could have used that uh, 
the that kind of like quote unquote loophole that the Maple Leafs are doing by acquiring all these LTIRs, so then they can um, uh, spend above the cap during the summer. But it's still a little uh, strange. Uh, it, it, maybe Ryan Callahan is healthy, um, but uh, they get Mike Condon um, in Tampa Bay. So um, let I'll, before I get too in depth. Uh, you probably have more no because this is your team, um, and I'll let you talk about it. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll take a look at uh, how Tampa Bay benefits, just to show I'm not entirely biased. Uh, Julian Breezebaugh did what he had to do. He cleared up cap space to keep more of his assets. He got $3.4 million in cap space out of this deal in the short term. And they used part of that to sign Shattenkirk for one year. So good on Julian Breezeball for that. They did not need another goalie in their farm system. But they don't mind agreeing to this trade because Mike Condon will be off the books after the upcoming season is over. And like I said before, I highly highly doubt for a second that Tampa is done. They're still in a cap crunch, even with Callahan's contract out of sight. Um maybe like you said the LTIR rule they could have gotten some cap space but still they they get rid of um a notable amount of money for one year and um a fifth round pick is basically all the tangible assets they gave up and they're better off for making this deal from the Sens perspective they still have to get to the cap floor Ryan Callahan, and this is important, has been diagnosed with a degenerative back disease, and the doctors have recommended he never play for hockey again. So, from Ottawa's standpoint, I don't think they really get a single asset out of this deal. They just take on salary, and it gets them closer to the cap floor. And we've seen it in the past from some rebuilding teams, specifically the Arizona Coyotes, who took on Marion Hosta's contract, who took on Dave Bullen's contract, who took on Pavel Datsuk's contract. As they were all expiring, um, they, they agreed to take those three contracts. Uh, when you take on a bad contract like Callahan, however, you would normally get good assets for the future. And the reason it didn't happen for Ottawa is because they gave Tampa one of their bad contracts uh, in Mike Condon. This is a guy who started 27 consecutive games in 2016-17 when Anderson was unavailable to play while his wife Nicole was battling cancer. And the former Canadiens draft pick went 19-14-6 in 40 games that year, posted five shutouts, a 2.50 goals against, and a 9-14 save percentage. Pretty good season. He goes 5-17-5, 26 starts the following year. Only two appearances for Ottawa last year leads to a waivers assignment, an AHL stint, and an injury that cost him any chance of returning to AHL duty or even NHL duty. Um, At this point, little to no trade value for Mike Condon. The Sens also have Marcus Hogberg, Philip Gustafson, Joey Decord, and Matt Sogard in the prospect pool already. Anders Nielsen and Craig Anderson are their two NHL goalies at the moment. Even if they trade Craig Anderson out of town, Condon is likely stashed in the ECHL or some other lower-tier league, not even an AHL bully at that point for the sake of the rebuild. He goes to the Lightning, who have already brought in Spencer Merton and Scott Wedgwood to help their farm system in Syracuse. 
You have McElhinney entering the fold in free agency, who is taking Louis Domingue's spot, who is still with the team for now. They got the rights to Merrick Mazanek. He hasn't been signed. Condon is literally in the same position in Tampa as he was in Ottawa. ECHL lower tier hockey, probably not in the AHL, not even close to NHL ready. And I think this was likely the only way Ottawa could have parted ways with Mike Condon and fill, and uh, basically make a goalie spot available. Um, so they took advantage of that avenue. In turn, that limited what they could get out of Tampa Bay. Um, so basically, this deal is a wash. The Sens gained $3.4 million in cap space, closer to the cap floor. They basically give away a lower-tier draft pick and get a lower tier draft pick in return, except it's just one round higher and both teams take on bad contracts. So other than Ottawa getting closer to the cap floor and Tampa freeing up cap space, um, not much to be said about this deal. It's basically a wash. Yeah, I, I guess there's nothing. I don't see Callahan doing much for Ottawa, especially if he's gonna be put on LTIR or there's, I don't expect much from Condon if he's ever called up. So um, it's one of those minor league traits. It's just a questionable one, just because I'm not sure why Tampa Bay does this. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it could work out for them at the same time. So it's, it's not like it's a, a franchise altering move at the same time, you know? So um, we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I would say Patrick Steeloff or Brian Gibbons um, was a better trade than this. Yeah. Because Brian Gibbons got them at least 14 points in 21 games. Right, right. So um, there's that. Um, uh, let's let's close this out. This is probably our shortest episode maybe ever. Uh, <laughs> it's an hour 20 minutes. Um, where, uh, so you can catch us on uh, Twitter, which is where we're usually on. Um, our which is Lace and Podcast. Um, our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Our uh, I guess our email is Lace Up Podcast. I just realized that like we have all these different names for all our different things. It's, it's, <laughs> it's it gets kind of confusing. We should have just kept, I, oh I think it was because I couldn't change it. Someone already has Lace Em Up as a Twitter. I think that's why I can't, uh, okay. I can't do that. Um, but yeah, so uh, catch us on those on those uh, those social media stuff. Um, catch us next time. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 182 of the Lace Em Up podcast. <laughs>